That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Dun dun da da! Episode 150, the sesquicentennial episode of Same Old Song! With just the readings, it's gonna be tough, but we'll get through it. How you doing, Jake? Yeah, I'm well. I'm 150 episodes. Where did it all go? It feels like we've only just begun. We've only just begun. When you think about it, that's 75 hours that you and I have spent together, not including... So n- not even counting the ones that, like, the, you know, cutting room floor, like either recording messes <laughs> up or... You cuss a blue streak, or I say something heretical, we have to start over. I know. 75 hours of pure same old song. This is a great day, everybody. So, um, feel special because... It's a milestone. Yeah, go get some Prosecco. Today, we were talking about wisdom, because all of the readings revolve around wisdom and how you need to be wise, and how you need to do this, and how you... Just kidding. But anyway, here we are. So, we have... Hey, wise guys, eh? How are you doing, Aaron? I'm all right. I'm punchy. Uh, we've been recording episodes. Uh, it's. I mean, it's just. I we feel have like a laser same old focus. song is becoming like a cell. <laughs> just uh, here we go. Here we go. Okay. So today it is uh, you, you preachers listening to this as we record in May. Uh, you are in August. We've and recorded. You are preparing to preach. How many episodes in the last two days? Just get everybody's secret. Everybody's got to know. Like <laughs> it's something like twelve. I don't know. Like a lot. We are we're we're packing it all in. The, so it's we still quality. Tired, it's still quality. That's so. right. No, no diminishment whatsoever this, in the quality. This episode is going to be seven minutes. Six of them childish <laughs> banter. <laughs> God loves you. Where's the where's the vermouth? Jake is doing a huge silent laugh. When Jake does a belly laugh, he gets totally silent. He's like, he's like the wind. Yeah. So okay. today we're looking at First Kings chapter two, verses ten through twelve, chapter three, three through fourteen. Then we take a look at Ephesians chapter five, verses fifteen through twenty, and then John chapter six, fifty-one through fifty-eight. So John chapter six again. I know we can't seem to get out of it. Ah. Uh. It's like it's, it's like, like the Groundhog wilderness Day. in Sinai. So <laughs> you look at the lectionary like still with the bread. It's like the it's like the breadsticks at Olive Garden. They just keep coming, you know. They never never run out. All right, so let's start here. Here we are, First King. So we're done with David. David dies. King David uh, rests in peace, sleeps with his ancestors. Mm-hmm. That's how they said you die back in the day, and he's buried in the city of David. Uh, and he then um, passes the torch to, to King Solomon. Yep, who is the daughter Fame, of uh, him and uh, Bathsheba. 
Sun. Yeah, the sun. sun. That's what I meant. And so that's right. It's late in the day. I know. Uh, so yeah, yeah. David and Bathsheba. So that scandalous liaison has produced now this second greatest king of Israel, the wise King Solomon, who really takes Israel politically and militarily to its its greatest heights. I mean, it just becomes <laughs> a, a, a great power in the ancient world. Uh, but this is the beginning of his reign, and you see that Solomon goes to Gibeon to sacrifice. That's because in those days, you know, the, the cult of Israel, meaning the religious practices of Israel, were still a little bit squishy, still kind of forming. Um, there was no temple yet in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, Yahweh was worshipped in different places still at that time. So he goes to Gibeon to sacrifice. Uh, it was called, as he says in the text here, verse 4, the principal high place. And he, he offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. So imagine slaughtering a thousand bulls and burning them all or lambs or something. It's a big deal. So uh, as you think about the smell of grilling meat, uh, Solomon prays. And uh, actually, he he meets with God in a in a dream mm-hmm. after that, and God asks him, uh, "It's sort of a genie in the lamp situation. Ask what I should give you. Like any, I'll give you anything you want." And Solomon asks for more wishes. Basically, he's like, he's the smart guy. He's like, he asks, you know, he doesn't ask for money or fame or power, but he asks for wisdom. And that's actually, I'm being a little, uh, mm-hmm. uh, little little punchy, but but it's a good it's a good request. Um, and, and God is impressed at Solomon's humility, uh, where he says, you know, I'm just a little child. I really don't know what I'm doing. There's some honesty there. And, um, so he asks for wisdom and discernment and understanding mind to govern your people, uh, because he's aware of his own lack, his own weakness, his own shortcomings. And that is like, that's a key to, that's the key to under unlocking this text if you don't understand the why God is pleased with the request is not because Solomon asks for wisdom, but what's behind the request, and that is the recognition of his own lack, his own need for God. So oftentimes you'll hear this text preached, you know, look at that. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for this. He didn't ask for that. What he asked for was wisdom, you know, and, you know, and because wisdom's the key to getting all these other things. But really, it's it's the confession that's behind the ask, and that is, I need you. Um, and uh, that is really what's important here, is that Solomon recognizes that he doesn't have it all as a king. It's kind of like I was speaking with a very um, uh, prominent clergy person uh, uh couple of days ago and uh and uh, rj Heyman. yeah that was him no uh but uh and you know and i was like well what is it like to run this particular position someone way more pro, yeah. pro um prominent <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely it was Stu <laughs> shelby no but uh anyway, <laughs> um but anyway i was like what is it like to run this big institution and he said most days i have to pray for wisdom because i have no idea what i'm doing and, uh, and I was like, that's really powerful. And that's what's going on here. Because as you will see when you read throughout Solomon's life, I mean, he makes he takes concubines and makes it in order to make alliances. Um, you know, he doesn't just stay within the Jewish uh, Jewish 
faith for um, his wives. He marries outside, and he allows those uh, concubines to bring in their own religions, which lead people away. And so Solomon ultimately needs to uh, point us to um, one king who's got it all together. He's all wise, he's all humble, he's all that you need for salvation, not only to see you through this age, but into the age that is to come. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so, th- you know, that's Solomon, is, this isn't supposed to be, um, it's not going to be as powerful if you preach it as a moralistic text, mm. like be wise like Solomon, that's going to be pretty mm. lame. Uh, because people can't do that. There's, this is not a thing where you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just be wise or, or be humble or something. Uh, if anything, it's it's to point us. Ultimately, every example you think is an example of righteous behavior or judgment or good values in the Bible is ultimately going dis- to disappoint you, as Solomon will. And so all these people are, are um, really pointers to Jesus Christ, yeah. and, and, and that's where you you want to go. Um, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And to the extent that Solomon was after wisdom and truth, he, he exists as somebody who points to points to Jesus. So Amen. that's Solomon. Uh, now we continue on the path of wisdom as we get to Ephesians chapter 5, as we've been walking through this uh, little letter from St. Paul to the, the church at Ephesus in Turkey. And he is um, writing as he is imprisoned to this church that he started, these people that he knows very well, whom he loves dearly, and they love him. And he's closing out the letter with all the little kind of instructions. Let me show you what the gospel looks like when you are living it out. And um, he advises them to keep a proper perspective. That's right. Uh, and he's got these, um, you know, these contrasts. Uh Live as wise people, not as unwise people. Don't be foolish, but understand. Don't get drunk with wine. Instead, you should stick to beer. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he says, uh, he says, um, be filled with the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he's doing this compare and contrast, or basically just contrasting, um, and is advising people to have, as I said, the right perspective. Um, the the will, when he says, do not be foolish, understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is to save you by grace. Mm-hmm. You remember uh, we covered that a couple of, of weeks ago. Make, What's the will of God? Yeah. You know, believe in the one whom he sent. That's right. So, um, this is, uh, don't don't be foolish and fall back into the, the works-based approach uh careerism, performanceism, building up your resume, trying to impress other people, trying to impress God with how good you are, all those sorts of things. Do not fall back into that. Um, and that's what he means when he says the days are evil. That The whole world around Paul then, as now, uh, was sort of about climbing ladders and impressing other people and uh, building up your stature and pushing other people down and uh, that exhausting treadmill. And uh, so instead, it's to be filled with the Spirit. That is to, to trust in someone else other than yourself to yep. make you into the person you want to be. Um, not to turn your, not to, you know, get your act together, but um, to let God do that. And he has this beautiful picture of just singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's rather poetic, actually. So, yeah, anything you would add to this uh you know, Paul closing out Ephesians. No, I think I think that's absolutely right. I mean, yeah, no, there's nothing I'd add to it. It's a great job. We said it mm-hmm. all. Thank you. I mean, it's all right. Check that one off the list. Absolutely. Let's go so to much, six. So clearly, uh, okay. So John chapter six. <sighs> uh, 
bread, bread, and more bread. Yeah, this is uh, it's, I'm the living it's, bread. It's a, a carb-heavy month in August, liturgically. <laughs> it's, a of, so it's a lot of yeah, bread. Yeah, this is not paleo preaching at all. No, but I think, you know, uh, it's very powerful. And I think, you know, so if you're just like, good God, what do I say again about John chapter 6? You know, I think kind of uh, b- building off of what we talked about last week, um, the idea of Jesus being the the ordinariness of the whole thing, the ordinariness of the gospel. You notice he doesn't say, I am the living firework. You know, I'm the living eagle, like these extraordinary things, but rather I'm the living bread because bread is something that every culture has in common. Unless you live on the island of Yap and you never heard it and there Jesus is the living yam. But I digress. Mm. Um, you know, did you know that he's? Is that true? Yeah, he's the living yam on the island. Because they have no bread. Yeah, they they like oh, hey, like, like yams are the are the jam there. Yams are the jams <laughs> on like the yams. island of Yap. So anyway, but um, you know, but the point is, is that this is extremely, extremely ordinary. This is what this is the powerful thing about the gospel, is that it comes to you not through fireworks, not through eagles, not through anything like that, but it comes to you in the ordinary. And why is that? Because I think I think religion, um, according to the world, is about taking ordinary things and making them extraordinary, whether it be like a, a tree, like, look how amazing that tree is. That tree is great. God must be there. You know, look how amazing that eagle is. God must be an eagle. Even planets are pretty ordinary, and we like to uh, ascribe to them extraordinary things, but God takes his ordinariness his, I mean, his extraordinariness and makes it extremely ordinary. And he comes to you today in this illustration of bread. Doesn't get any, so extraordinary becoming ordinary to meet you right where you're at. Uh, but the good news is, is that meeting you right where you're at, not in your perceived extraordinariness or what you hope you'd like to be, but right where you are, well, there's where God can work. And uh, with his flesh is true food and his blood is true drink. There he can take your ordinariness and raise you up on the last day. Yep. Uh, the, the, there's a couple of other things you might want to mention, or at least just know as you prepare to preach this passage. Jesus doesn't have the Last Supper Passover meal yes. with his disciples recorded in, in, the, in the Gospel of John. So John puts a lot of this discussion way back in John chapter 6. Mm-hmm. It is near the Passover, but this is not necessarily, this is not near Jesus' death. Um, but uh, so uh, just to kind of to know that, that Jesus is speaking Eucharistically even er- this early on in his ministry. And so when we get to the Last Supper in the Synoptic Gospels, John, Mark, or Mark, Luke, and Matthew, um, when Jesus talks about his body being the bread and take and eat this and all that, quite possible that Jesus, I mean, taught about that before. Um, And so this was kind of the plan all along. But I think um, it shows Jesus's wisdom and sort of insight. I mean, Jesus is inventing a new religious rite. This has not been done before. Um, the manna came from heaven, but it was still just bread or some kind of bread-like substance on the ground. Uh, there has have been times when Jesus has used actual bread to feed people, but this idea that I am the bread that came down from heaven and you need to, to eat me, uh, this is a new idea. 
And it sounds shocking. If you ever meet a new Christian or someone who's not familiar with Christianity and read this passage to them, and this often happens with kids if you're doing like a First Communion class or something like that, or you're talking about this passage, it, and I've been asked this once in a newcomer's class at St. Albans, this passage sounds very cannibalistic, mm. and absolutely it does. Um, he does say, you got to eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. I mean, it's almost, it's very Dracula. It's a very goth passage if you're into that sort of thing. Um but Jesus wants to be shocking, and this is shocking to a Jewish audience because, again, um, you don't eat the blood of an animal. You don't drink the blood of an animal. You drain the blood of a sacrificial animal. Um, and to, to talk about eating human flesh would have been kind of horrific and offensive to a Jewish audience. But sometimes Jesus wants to use extreme language to kind of wake people up. And so he is talking about himself as a sacrifice, and he's saying that you need to accept this sacrifice um, personally for you. That there's, there's, it, it's, it's a statement of need um, to, to say that you have a, a, a lack, you have an emptiness that needs to be filled by eating this bread. And Jesus says, it is my flesh. So it's all this kind of stark, confusing, crazy language, but all to say that what Jesus does in offering himself as a sacrifice, that needs to be incorporated into us. And it is by doing so that mysteriously somehow we get eternal life. And Jesus says it very plainly, the one who eats this bread will live forever. And this is why, by the way, the Episcopal Church, among many, you know, as far as I know, all mainline denominations, like the official rules, at least, you know, I can speak for the Episcopal Church. Uh, If you're not a baptized Christian, you don't eat or drink the bread or the wine at Holy Communion. Because... We don't believe it's some sort of fellowship meal, hangout time with Jesus. We believe it is um, sacramentally his body and blood. Uh, it's an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Uh, and um, it would be most profoundly inhospitable to ask people who don't believe it, don't understand it, and have no idea what's going on to to do to participate yes. in this. Um, so you think you're being nice, but actually you're being... It's, it's, I don't know, it's like inviting somebody to your house, it, it, you know, you really like uh, pickled frog's legs and you invite people to your house, and you're like, wouldn't you like to have some of these? Uh, and they really don't want it, but you're trying to be hospitable, so you force it on them. And that's oftentimes what we're doing in the church by forcing people who don't know what they're doing, what it means, or why it's significant to eat the flesh and drink the blood of a person, which is what we're talking about here. It's not some just tasty snack. So anyways... Enough of that. I think, uh, but the, it is a Sunday where, you know, if we're still in bread, I think talking about the shocking nature of this language shows, I think, how deep the human problem is that Jesus wants to wake us up mm. to say that what you actually need is for somebody to die for you as a sacrifice, and you need to take that into, that sacrificial offering yes. into you. It is for you. That's right. So connect that to folks, and that's all I got yep. on John chapter 6. Again, another, another go around with this chapter. Good. Well, just one more week of John chapter 6, and we'll tackle that next week. Have a wonderful time. Yep, and it'll it'll be fish sticks. Amen. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. 
And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.